Welcome to the all new William B. Henry experience. Talking to business owners, local community leaders, and just overall cool people. This season is sponsored by the Billings Chamber of Commerce. Go to www.billingschamber.com. Welcome to the William B. Henry Experience, and we're back in the lab, as I like to call it, or the chop shop. And I am here with uh, somebody who I have great admiration for. I'm in the room with Dr. Sarah Agostinelli. How are you, madam? I'm good. How are you, William? I'm so good. It might be criminal to be this good, actually, mm-hmm. right? So um, I'm going to talk to the doc. I'm going to call her Sarah because we have a relationship. I don't have to refer to her like that, I don't think. Okay. Yeah, no one calls me doctor. Okay. Unless you ask me if I go by miss or missus, then I will respond oh, doctor. doctor. Okay. Short of that, I prefer Sarah. Okay. So uh, just from, for some background, Sarah is the Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging at the Great Village Clinic here in Billings, Montana. And uh, I want you just to tell people a little bit about your background, because I think that'll kind of tie the story of how we met. So just your educational background and kind of what you're doing at the clinic now. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually from Montana originally, born and raised. Um, I lived here in Billings actually as a little kid, went to elementary school, but primarily grew up in Great Falls. Um, when I graduated high school, I went to college out in Minnesota. So went to the, um, well, it's not the University of St. Catherine. It was a college of St. Catherine at the time in St. Paul. Then I went over to Washington State University. I worked full-time and got my master's degree in education, part-time. Spent a couple of years in Los Angeles at Loyola Marymount University. Then back to Montana, University of Montana for six years. And that's where I did my doctorate in educational leadership. And then out to the University of Notre Dame. Um, there I worked first as our assistant director of LGBTQ students initiatives and then served as a year as an interim director of our gender relations center. And then was fortunate enough to come back here to Billings. I think, you know, the pandemic and COVID taught lots of us things that were important to us and what we wanted. And I think for me, it was why well, I spent 15 years in higher education and loved it. You know, I did a lot of this work in higher ed, but it was really important to be back home, be near my family. Um, most of my siblings are here in Montana. My dad's just up the road in Lewistown, which is 100 miles away. So in Montana, is just up the road. For sure. Um, that's, For sure. that's how we are yeah. here. Um, and so saw this opportunity at Billings Clinic and was really grateful to come over. And so get to kind of continue the same work around diversity and inclusion, but in a new environment. And I, but I think healthcare and education are so similar. They're both... I mean, helping professions, like name more <laughs> helpful helping professions. And then I think really committed to learning environments and education and research. So I had a lot of comments. So I was grateful to be here. And through my work there, I was able to get involved with some stuff here at the city of Billings and to the chamber where you and I met. So kind of a, a lot of circles yeah. um, to end right back where I started. There you go. So I have had the opportunity to share some space with Sarah for the last probably Six to eight months. I've been here five. <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry. Five months. No, it's nice. It's nice. But, kind of you, but definitely not eight. I was still living in Indiana. All right, well, so Sarah, you know, this, this, this is the educator here. She, she just red pinned me. She's been here five <laughs> months, right? Um, we started those classes in what, March? Maybe until March. That's what I was thinking. So well, I moved here in April, so I think we started in May. No, we started in March. God, I'm sure. That's why I said six months. You may, you may be, yeah, I'm pretty certain. Where was that class one, though? It wasn't an April. I'll take a bet on that. I'll check my calendar. All right. So <laughs> now that we've had our first, uh, our, our, our first. At least you know we're honest in our dialogue, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Like, That's what this show is about. We're not just placating one another. Yeah. No, 
we don't do that. We don't do that. So, so Sarah is in these classes with me, and one of the things that I appreciate about you, and I told you this before, is your authentic. Just always authentic with me, right? Y'all authentic with the class. Y'all authentic with the group. You ask questions that uh, make people think, right? Those thought-provoking questions. And so, I just wanted to do to talk about, you know, your your experience in not only in higher education, but when you're in settings. And so, just for guys who can't see. I'm African-American male. Sarah's a Caucasian woman. She teaches diversity, equity, and inclusion. And she has some really interesting insights. So let's talk about some of the insights that you experience like in a hospital or in, when you're trying to educate people on things that they may not understand as clearly as you do. So let's talk about some of your experience about that. Yeah, you know, I think, I think when it comes to when you do diversity, equity, inclusion work, I think first off you have to think about that and help people see that this is everyone, right? Everyone, diversity is really this numbers game, right? It's having differences and who's present and who's not. And often, well, I mean, I think because we in the United States are uncomfortable talking about race, we say diversity instead of race. And so it conflates the two. And race is one thing. And when we talk about people who are historically underrepresented racially or have had marginalized experience because of their race, like that's a conversation that's important to need to have. But that's not diversity in its total. That's a component of diversity. So I think Sometimes people feel pushed out or left out or unincluded when you talk about diversity. So I think it's really important when you start that it's really all of us. But it's being honest and authentic and aware and also creating space that people can share, you know, maybe aspects they share about themselves, but also differences. You know, here in Montana, people can often be like, well, that's not a very diverse place. And I challenge that by saying, well, we're not a very racially diverse place, but we have lots of other aspects of diversity as we think of gender, as we think of sexuality, as we think of faith and religion, as we think of socioeconomic status. I think socioeconomic is huge diversity. I mean, I think even that just here in Billings, when we look at, you know, different aspects of socioeconomic and access to education, access to employment, access to health insurance, and so, you know, I think that's the first thing is you have to invite people into that conversation and show they are a part of it. It's when people I think, feel left out or pushed out, but then they don't want to engage in it. And the reality is we need everyone to engage in it. This is best for all of us. And so it's really about inviting people in. Now, I think there's people who've maybe had more opportunity to speak or share or have their experiences noted. And so that's where maybe you have to share a room at the mic, but it doesn't not include anyone. And I think that that's the challenge, though, is when we then... But we have to be willing to talk about race when we mean race for us to really have a full conversation about diversity. We can't pretend that they're the exact same thing. Right. Yeah. So I just was uh, writing today and I wrote down, I don't know if I heard it or I was just genius this morning. You know, diversity counts, looks at the numbers. Inclusion makes the numbers count. Right. And I think we completely forget about that part of it. And so I always appreciate your perspective on when we talk about those kind of things, right? So, you know, the other thing I want to talk about, too, is, you know, uh, just so you guys know, uh, April 2022, uh, the experience is hosting the conference. And Sarah is going to actually architect a class or two, possibly, in this space. And I want to talk about one of them titles, right? Because you, you you knew I was going here, right? One of the titles, and I'm going to screw it up, and I'm sure you're going to fix it, is like Working While White. Can I talk about what that's kind of about? Because I, I, you know what I thought. I was like, yeah, teach that class. That's the one I want to hear about. Matter of fact, I want to make sure my schedule's clear so I can be in. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, you know, so I am white. I'm very upset no. about that. I, I tell you white. When I was joke, like, I've never had an experience that I'm ever aware of. I mean, maybe I've had one and I was unaware, but I've never had an experience with anyone 
mistook me as not white, right? And I think that's really powerful that we don't always, when you hold a identity that is represented, right? So I've lived every place I've ever lived. I've lived in a predominantly white community. I've every university or a school I've attended my whole life has been predominantly white. Um, you know, I could probably sit down right now and tell you every time in my whole life, I wasn't that I was underrepresented in a room, right? Like that was the only white person in a space. Um, and in college, I studied abroad in Namibia, which is in Southern Africa. And so like definitely had times I was the only white person, but like couldn't name them. And that is something that happens, right? When you hold an identity that is represented, it's a prominent identity um, that you don't always really see how that identity then impacts your interactions because it's just there. And so David Foster Wallace has this great speech, uh, does a graduation speech, and he kind of starts it with one fish asks another fish, like, how's the water? And the other fish responds, what's water? Right? So when you're in something, you don't see it. Like when you're a white person in a white community surrounded by white people, I think it's hard to see your racialized experiences or to reflect on when your race interactive experiences, right? So every interaction I've had my whole life, everyone has always treated and responded to me as a white person. And I mean, I am a white person, but there's never been that moment, right? So like no one's ever been Sarah. That's a, that's a nice white name. Uh, right. Like I was, <laughs> I joke being named Sarah. You like definitely know I'm a woman. I'm white and I was born in the eighties. Like the odds are just really good at those three things. Now, obviously lots of people could be named Sarah and not only white people, but it was just real popular in the early eighties. Mostly, you know, I was born in the early eighties, like solidly you can figure out my age based on being named Sarah. Um, my last name is Agostinelli. It takes, you know, I think like twice in my life been asked if it was Greek as opposed to is that Italian? You know, every other time is, is that Italian? So again, like I'm, I'm a white coated name, right? Like my name sounds white. Yeah. When you look at me, it's pretty apparent I'm white. Um, I was guessing. You I were guessing, guessing right? Like you were like, oh, like is she white or is she white? Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> so <laughs> I, you know, so it's, it's hard to say though. So I've never had experiences and I know other people who've had or have shared those that you know I mean someone might see your name but if they've never met you maybe they don't know right like or maybe you've been mistaken as white and you're not Clear. you already shared you're not <laughs> I'm not Clear, right, <laughs> right I like, tan well yeah right like <laughs> I don't um so I mean so I think it can be hard to think about or to recognize then when your race has plays an experience, when it's not been something that I myself am like, wow, I had this experience and I was treated this way, but I had this experience and I was treated differently, right? Like as a white person who's predominantly in white environments, like I've never had that. Where I've had that in other aspects of my life, right? Where someone maybe mistook a different part of my identity. And so you can kind of feel that difference or experience different things. Like, and so I think as a white person, I know I'm not the only one who had experience. I know lots of people who just never really spent time thinking about it. And when we don't think about it, I think that's when we, we don't, we, that's when we have those unconscious things that happen, right? whether it's unconscious bias or maybe we're well-intended, but we just don't think about how some experience looks or feels, you know, for another person. And so I think thinking about that, and, but we do have racialized experiences, right? Like I know I've had moments I was treated a certain way because of my race. Um, and sometimes positive and sometimes negative, but I can again name those. But I think if you don't stop and think about those and think about what that felt like, or think about how that impacted you, then it's hard to understand why it's so important that we're mindful and thoughtful about how we treat other people and aware of why are we treating someone the way we're treating them? Are we 
Are we doing something, whether it's unconsciously or consciously, versus being able to really control our actions and being able to control our decisions and doing everything intentionally? So that's a lot of me saying I'm white. Like 37 <laughs> times probably don't answer this. No, but I think it's important though, right? Because the realization, and when you get into it and realize that there are some things that just comes with whatever race you are, good or bad, right? And you recognize those things. I think that's the only way that the actual growth happens, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, I, and I think people don't realize that. So when I saw that title, Working While White, I was like, yeah, you know, you got to talk about it a little bit. <laughs> but I think it's important to think about, right? Like you, sure. And I think it's true of any identity, right? So I think if you've never really thought about aspects of yourselves and how it influences you or changes your interactions or... You know, I think it's important to think about, right? Like, yeah. so whether that's your gender, whether it's your faith, whether that's your sexuality, um, when, especially when you hold a privileged identity, you know, or you hold an identity that often you're given more benefits than not benefits of, to think about that and how has it influenced you or shaped you? Mm -hmm. And are you controlling your actions? Are you controlling these outcomes versus... This is why. Right, right, right. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit and I'm going to take it to the professional aspect because I know that the Billings Clinic is, you know, immersed and committed to this journey of diversity, equity, and inclusion, hence your position. So can I talk about some of the, the work that you are involved in in that space and kind of where you see that work going? Right? Yeah, I think one thing I love about my position is so I am the director of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, and while it's, I joke just as long as my last name, um, it also, you know, I think it's really in the end, it's about belonging that, you know, we get to a sense of belonging when we do the other three well, right? So when we do diversity, equity, and inclusion well, what we're actually doing is belonging. And I really love that emphasis and that focus, because again, it's, it's not, it's for all of us. And it's how do we make space and how do we create an environment that everyone can be authentic at work, can feel valued at work, can feel included at work. You know, and I think then if we can remove barriers, that someone's spending their time thinking about something else versus really thinking about, you know, how are we helping people or caring people, you know, and centering that. And, you know, I always say that it's important to be doing a little bit of all of that work all the time, right? And so it's not, it's not just trainings. And well, trainings are a great way to build inclusion because you help people think about unconscious bias. Or you help people think about cultural humility or you help people have just more knowledge, you know, about a certain community. But that's a really great way to build inclusion. But we're not going to really create belonging through inclusion alone. Right. We also have to have equity. And so a lot of times thinking about our policies or procedures, you know, has... I think every industry has things that have been done that way because it's been done that way. Or at least I worked in higher education for 15 years and the amount of things that were like, well, that's just that's how we do it. That's how we do it. And we haven't stopped to think about it. And we haven't stopped to necessarily use a lens of equity. Um, you know, we're even thinking about the language we're using. Language evolves and changes and, um, you know, how we create those spaces. And so it's how are you kind of always doing all of that work in different facets so that when you come together in the end, everyone has that sense of belonging that our employees do, that our patients do, that our community does. You know, I mean, we really care about our entire community, which isn't just here in Billings, it's all over <laughs> um, Montana, the Dakotas, Northern Wyoming. And so it, you know, we're really a part of that community. So it's also not just how we are at work, but how are we all in our communities, in our neighborhoods, 
you know, the other aspects of our lives because also no one's just an employee. We all have other things. So I'm going to switch gears one more time because I thought this was interesting when we were having a coffee a couple months ago. You mentioned some, something to me, you know, uh, so I, I, I think it's fair to say. I, th I think it's fair to say that, uh, well, I'm not going to mention what you think about. I am going to mention that, but that's not this one, right? Uh, so we were talking about this and you were telling me about, so, so you're married. I am. And you were telling me about not taking your husband's last name. He didn't take mine. There you go. So <laughs> I just thought that. We both had an opportunity, really. Right, yeah, we right. both. We both made a decision. So I just think it's interesting because our culture mm -hmm. says that, you know, you're supposed to take the name. And I think it like intertwines into this whole bigger topic, right, about that. So I just thought it was interesting, like your decision not to do that as opposed to people feel like they have to do that. And I think people should do what they want. Right. I see sure. like a lot of value, right? Like I have um, in-laws, right, I have siblings, right, I have um, friends right, that have changed their names and I think that you know it, for people it might make sense it's what's important to them you know it's what they want you know and I think this is again like how people are being authentic to be I have joked about this to be really honest my last name is my favorite of all my names um, I, I would give up it, and I put it early if, no you're good um, no, like, I, like Augustine I, Ellie I love it it's my favorite name I would give up Sarah I don't even use my middle name it's like a lovely <laughs> thing like but I, my last name is my name that I identify with the most. It's my favorite of all my names. And so the funny thing is my um, my uh, partner, um, his middle name is his favorite name. So I was like, well, I could just like take your middle name, right? It's the name that matters to you. I hate my middle name. Like, would that like show this like unity? But I get for lots of people, you know, especially if you have children and you want to have the same last name as your children. And I even get some logistics of schools and things even some of the ease of that. So, I mean, I think it's not that I think people shouldn't do it. I think people should be authentic to who they are and what makes the most sense for them. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I love my last name and it's, you know, so it was important to me. It was my most important name to me of my, like of my names. But I also do say everyone has that decision. This isn't a decision of just women married to men. Everyone can make that decision. So I think it's important to point out also I'm going to get people to join me. So this is how much I love my marriage. I have the best partner. So um, my spouse studied Latin, right? So like in college, but it's his second language is Latin. And so whenever we find, <laughs> we, we find words that don't like have an equivalent in gender, I like to make them up. So like, <laughs> no, like, right. You could ask me, well, what was your matri your maiden name? And I could ask that like, oh, Augustinelli is cool. What was your maiden name? I was like, Augustinelli is also my married name. But what was your maiden name? You know, I mean, like, there's no male equivalent, right? Like no. you are, you're married as well. I am married. You have a wonderful wife Thank who you. I adore. I'll pass that to her. I hope, maybe she'll listen to this. She probably will. <laughs> Hopefully <actually>. she does. <laughs> but you, but has anyone ever asked you what was your name before you were married to Yolanda? Not, not that I can Right? Remember. Because there's not a word in our language for men's names pre and post marriage. So there's that language for women, which adds to this. So because I have the world's best spouse, he, I was like, what would it be? So, right. So if you take maiden and you take it back to the root and then you switch the gender and you move it forward. So in Latin, it would be patron, which I didn't really love because patron has lots of other connotations in right, our society. Right. So then if you do it in Greek, again, I have the world's best husband. Um, if you do this in Greek, it becomes fratrid. So I like to use it like it's a real world. And so if people ask me my maiden name, I ask them their fratrid name. 
and I just use it like it's a real word. So you're all welcome to join me. It is grounded in Greek, so it has like some, like it, it sounds like it's a real word, right? right. So I'm like, oh, well, William, like before you married, what was your fratra name? You would not know that's not a real word. So I hope everyone joins me in using fratrin. It's going to catch on, hopefully better than fetched fratra names. We're going to bring it. We're going to bring it to society and make it. We'll get it added to the dictionary one day. So we're going to start the Augustinelli <laughs> dictionary, like the Urban Dictionary. It's just going to be a words that Sarah uses that makes sense because they have been obviously vetted. And from a, <laughs> obviously, Bennett, from an educated individual. So we're just going to trust that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. So This is how you know I have the world's best spouse, that he's willing to do this with me. We're, we're, we're a lot of fun. I, you know, I, I don't even feel like I can even uh, have lunch with you guys. It's way too much brain power in that household. Way too much brain power. Like, like who's this idiot we're lunch with? No. Like, no, really. So you know we're like really good for each other because we good. both are interested in these conversations. That, you should have things in common with people you choose to marry. I that's probably a good thing. Yeah. That's probably a good thing. So I just I just uh put out the beta for the Augustinelli <laughs> dictionary to start like today and we're starting with the word Fratrin. A fratrin name. A right. Fratrin. So that would a fratrin name yep. would be a man's name prior to marriage. marriage. Okay. I'm with it. Yeah. So, so this total off subject. <laughs> this but my, is not where you're going no, to go. No, with no, it. no, 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 this is no. Like this, this next time is totally off subject. My sister, whose last name is Henry, married a guy last name Henry. How crazy is that? So well, that's convenient. That's kind of convenient. Like you get the benefits of a shared last name without any of the paperwork. Right. True story. I just thought that was interesting. So my last question before I let you go is, um, I I don't let anybody leave my show without them telling me. You know, kind of what's your mantra, your motto, that thing that makes you go every day, dude? When you look in the mirror, what do you tell yourself? How do you, how do you get that gas to go? Coffee? I don't mean, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know I have a motto. Maybe I should come up with one. You know, I think that what I love about Montana, and Montanans are a lot of things. And I think even still, like my, I identify as a Montanan. And I think, again, it's an identity that growing up, I was surrounded in, much like being white. And it wasn't until I lived outside of Montana, to Minnesota, Washington, California, Indiana, all of them for a couple of years at best. And I think it's when you, when I was outside that community, right, and I didn't share the majority identity with other people in the same state, that it really understood what it meant to be Montanan, how important that was to me, how much growing up here influenced who I am. And I think one thing that I love about it here is, well, we can be very independent and <laughs> lots of uh things about our culture i think there's also like few enough people you have to care about people right like there's a million of us mm -hmm. but when i worked in indiana i had a colleague from long island and i used to tease her all the time that there was nine times as many people on her island mm -hmm. as my state and i was like well how do you all fit like what it's gotta be so full right but i think there as much there is a lot of individualism as part of our culture you have to care about the people because there's only so many of us and, you know, have that community. And so I think that, you know, I just was raised to care about others and to listen to others and find the values and joys of hearing about other people's experiences. I don't, but I will say coffee is what drives me every day. I don't know. I have a motto. I'll, I'll come up with one. That's all right. That's all right. So, I'll listen to all your other podcasts. There's got to be a good one. I can be like, I'm going to borrow that one. Right. In, in education, as long as I cite it appropriately with APA, then oh, I'm solid. There you go. Here we go. Right. <laughs> So, hey, listen, I really um, appreciate you coming on the show today. And more importantly, I appreciate the opportunity to learn from you and grow from you. 
Like, I'm serious. Like, forget this microphone for a second. That, 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 I've, so, I've told you this off the microphone, right? Um, so I really appreciate you coming. For those who want the experience of Dr. Sarah. Yeah, Dr. Sarah. Like, you earned those letters. You know I got to use that, right? April 21st, 2022. Come check her out. She's going to do something pretty special. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate having you. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're out. The experience. We'll see you next time.